0: and welcome to the seven innings podcast pre-super regionals wow we have a lot to go over this week and um it's our normal cast of characters with kayla bro maddie shipman jenny dalton hill amanda scarborough jen schroeder and i'm michelle smith again uh pinch hitting for beth moens a lot to cover this week ladies we're going to talk about the upsets lots of those um the pac 12 flexing their muscle We've got some interviews we've got some concerns with the uh the sec we're gonna talk a little bit about uh joe evans player of the year picks and on and on of course we're gonna shag some stats so right off the top let's go ahead and um talk about what we all saw this weekend in regionals and that's the upsets um a lot of interesting stuff going on we had five seeds that were upset some at home um just some impressive softball so uh Who wants to jump in first? Maddie, you want to jump in and uh, give us a little information on what you saw this weekend? Yeah, I think
1: the first one that comes to mind, of course, is Stanford upsetting Alabama. I don't think any of us expected that to happen, especially since Alabama is the only team in the nation that had made it to every single super regional. So for Stanford to come into the Rhodes House and beat them, I think it was a huge accomplishment for this Stanford team that we've seen throughout this season take some really big wins from some really good teams uh, between UCLA, um, some other teams in the Pac-12, I-, I was really impressed with the way that Elena Voder pitched for Stanford and the way that Reagan Krauss pitched for them. Um, and they've got some great hitters in that lineup with Taylor, Taylor Gindelsberger right there from the top. So to be able to come into the Rhodes house, not be phased at all by the crowd, not let that get into your head, uh, I think that they're a force to be reckoned with going forward in the rest of the season.
2: Uh, I actually picked Stanford coming out of that one because they beat UCLA twice. And because they beat ASU, Uh, the fact that Arizona had or that Alabama had never been to had never not been to a super regional was something that kind of I mean, it's an amazing statistic like no other program can say that they have been to every single super regional. But the one that by far surprised me the most is Florida State not winning. The number two seed has never been upset in round one. Mississippi State played incredibly. Kayla, I know that you were there. They never quit. But even until the seventh inning and one out, I still thought Florida State was going to come out of it because we had watched them do it time and time again all year. Kayla, what did you see?
3: Uh, you're right, Jen. Uh, you looked at this Florida State team and what you saw was team a team that knew how to win in the big moment on the biggest stage against the most quality competition between beating UCLA, Oklahoma State, Alabama, Florida. I mean, they just every single time there was a big game, they just stepped up and it was so interesting to see them kind of crack a little bit. We're not used to seeing that. Right. And I think there's a couple of factors that I I've, I've thought about a little bit um usf was in that region and georgina korek up for national player of the year gets back spasms and she beat mississippi state in game one of that region she gets back spasms not able to pitch so mississippi state goes on to beat usf and usf never matches up against florida state which i think everybody was expecting to see i thought we were looking to see georgina Cork versus florida state so because of that all of a sudden Mississippi State kind of like sneaks in there in the regional final and they go out uh, in and upset Florida State and I have to give so much credit to Aspen Wesley and Annie Willis because the two of them pitched lights out against one of the best offenses in the country. I mean Aspen Wesley gave up two hits and shut out Florida State to get the game one victory on that champs championship Sunday um, and then after that, you know, she starts game two, which I was kind of surprised about. She starts game two. She gives up a couple runs and I'm like, okay, Florida state's got this under control. Like this is what they do. Kaylee Mudge and Sydney Cheryl, like all of a sudden explode in the first inning. And I'm thinking, all right, this is what the Seminoles do. Here they go. But then Annie Willis comes in and shuts them down. Her changeup was unreal. Again, give credit to every single player on the Mississippi state team because it was a whole team effort. And, uh, It's the first time that their program is going to go to supers, so I think you just got to tip your cap to them playing phenomenally over the weekend.
4: I think you also one of the other regionals that I was surprised by was Tennessee losing at home. I did not expect Oregon State to come in the way that they did, but when you have a player like Mariah Maison to be able to come in and shut down Tennessee's offense, we know they have a new a new hitting coach this year, but and they've been able to hit the long ball. They've been able to come through with situational hitting. They've been able to come in with run production in tight situations. But when it came down to it, Mariah was able to get three complete games. She pitched the seventh inning of game one and get the, got the win. Complete game win to come away with the regional win and got two wins and just 13 combined hits. So for me, she was the difference maker in that one. Erin Edmondson had to carry the load. Ashley Rogers was not able to pitch a ton in that regional and just could not shut down Oregon State. Tennessee with a healthy Ashley Rogers, I think would have been able to come away with that regional win, but it all comes down to being healthy at the end. And for me, that was the difference maker. Oregon State beat Tennessee in the regular season and kind of set up this revenge match but still able to come away with that big regional victory. So excited for Oregon State, who was 37 and 20 on the year.
5: Well, and then the pitching matchup that we saw in Seattle between Haley Dulcini and Gabby playing was one for the ages. Like if you saw that matchup once, you're probably excited twice. You're thinking that you're really lucky three. You were pinching yourself that you got to see them go up against each other three different times. And it lived up to everything that if you were a softball fan, you thought that it should be, they both didn't pitch with nerves. They both pitched pretty fearlessly aggressive, like didn't make a ton of mistakes. And it just is a type of like old fashioned pitching duel that gives you goosebumps to watch. And I thought that Texas really showed some fight this weekend. They went in there as the unseated team, beat Washington two different times, Look so sharp. This is a Texas defense that is one of the worst in the Big 12. They only made one error the entire weekend, and it came in the last game. And honestly, I can't even remember what the error was. Like, it doesn't even, I can't even remember what it is. I looked at the box score. I'm like, hi, I don't remember that. But their, their defense played well. They came up with the clutch hits. And Haley Dulcini came to Texas from Fresno State to be able to pitch in bigger games like this weekend and get the win versus Washington to be able to pitch in supers. And so can't say enough about Haley Dulcini and the way that she gritted out some wins. She was in pain. Both pitchers were in pain and Texas came out the winner and unfortunately Gabby Plane and, and some others on the Washington team, their, their career is done and their season's done.
0: Yeah, it was definitely an interesting uh, regional. So, so it was five seeded teams that lost. Florida State, Missouri, Alabama, Tennessee, Washington. That's never happened. uh, Last year, excuse me, last year, we did have two unseeded teams make it to the Women's College World Series, JMU and Georgia. So this year, we're at least guaranteed of that because of the the way things are set up. So it's pretty interesting. And if you look at the last day, if you look at... the Championship Sunday in regionals, I found it interesting how many teams actually had to play and win two games and actually were able to do it. I guess you could also say on the flip side how many teams were able were unable to win just one game to punch their ticket uh, and you also have to go and, and look at the uh, virginia Tech Kentucky matchup right where Virginia Tech came back and won two games to secure their Super regional um, bid. And then Duke as well. So both those ACC teams doing a good job. Duke obviously defeating Georgia twice. A little bit of ironic matchup after last year, uh, Georgia beating Duke. And then Virginia Tech having to take two from Kentucky after Kentucky upset them in that winner's bracket game. But those two seeds hold true. Um, But Mississippi State, Arizona, Stanford, Oregon State, and Texas all beating Uh, the seeded teams in their region. Pretty impressive weekend um, all the way around. So that's going to lead us into um, the uh, second slot in our lineup card, and that's the Pac-12 Flex. How about the Pac-12? They have five teams that have punched their ticket to the Uh, Super regionals. Pretty impressive because I think a lot of people are saying uh, this is a little bit of a revenge for the Pac-12. Everyone was looking at how strong the ACC and the SEC was, but the one conference that really stood out was the Pac-12. So um, why don't we go ahead and and dive a little bit deeper into the Pac-12. Jen Schroeder, you want to jump in on that?
2: Yeah, I've been the first to say the Pac-12 is not as strong as it has been in years past. And I feel like at this point, I need to eat my words because five Pac-12 teams advancing and advancing pretty dominantly is incredibly impressive. I think the softball world assumed that UCLA would play in a super and that ASU would play in a super. But the fact that Arizona and Oregon State, two teams that on Selection Sunday waited to hear if their name was going to be called are advancing to a super regional. And then, of course, we mentioned Stanford also advancing to a super regional. The fact that there are five teams from the past I think shocks the entire softball world. It actually makes me think that Utah should have been playing in the in regionals that they should have had a bid into this tournament because of how strong the pack was. But the two things that really stood out to me when I look at Arizona and Oregon State was Arizona's pitching, where has that been all year long between Hannah Bowen and Devin Nets. And Devin Nets was the one who really impressed me on Sunday because Saturday night, I think everyone assumed Bowen, you're going to get the ball and we're going to ride you as long as we can. But Devin Nets stepped up Charlize Palacios with a big bomb to carry him in a Mizzou regional, which Columbia is not the easiest place to play, especially for a Pac-12 team that doesn't play in big stadiums like that and then Oregon state's offense we know mason is good frankie i mean they uh, they stepped up when it mattered most in front of a volatile tennessee atmosphere and so those teams those two things really stood out to me jenny yeah and we've already mentioned the
4: whole stanford issue at alabama to me that was Shocking. Uh, everybody expects that when you go into the Rhodes house, that the Rhodes house is that 10th player that totally intimidates the op- opposition. But guys crazy to know that Alabama shut out for the first time in post season play in regional play. And Stanford was able to do it twice to me. That was the key. Where did Alabama's bats go the last games of the season in The SEC tournament couldn't find hits, couldn't find home runs. And that's what they rely on in the year. And then to come away with two, two shutouts in the regional, Elena Vodder, three complete game wins, shut out Alabama twice. And that had only been done one other time in the year where Alabama hadn't scored in a loss. So three shutouts in the last three games, that was big. Also, I know, Kayla, you want to add on to that, but I've got to give a shout out to Arizona. Just like you, Jen, it was pitching. We know Arizona can hit. We know Arizona can hit at home. But Arizona found their bats and took them with them to Missouri. Huge wins for them. And I think the difference, like you said, was Devin Nets finally throwing that change up for a strike. We've known she has had that pitch, but it has been so inconsistent that teams didn't have to hit it. Now, this weekend, it came through in such a big way. They had an eight-game losing streak in the middle of the season. That's more losses than I had in three of my years playing at Arizona. So tons of losses, and it made that team really scuffle. The first year that Coach Candrea is not the head of that, Caitlin Lowe rallied the troops, found a way to win at Missouri, a huge, huge statement and program win for Caitlin Lowe in her first season at Arizona. All right. So Kayla, what have you got with Alabama? I know that was a heartbreak one for you. Uh,
3: Well, I I just want to give credit to Stanford and a lot of these Pac-12 teams because, you know, when you go into the Rhodes house and you are facing Montana Fouts, it's all about how your plate adjustments and what you're attacking offensively. That's going to give you the best chance to be successful. And I was so impressed with their game plan. I think that they, basically eliminated her rise ball. They shortened up. They kept everything really simple. They worked on getting to contact. And that game plan alone was what allowed them to beat her twice. And she pitched really well. She actually threw in an off speed, which we don't ever see from Montana Fouts. So they challenged, Montana Fouts came to play. But they just had a better game plan and they executed. I think you saw the same thing from an Oregon State team. You know what you're going to go face when you face Ashley Rogers and Aaron Edmondson. And your ability to adjust quickly, to put things together, and have a great game plan and execute that is why the Pac-12, I think, did more successfully than a conference like the SEC. And even like Florida State, I thought their adjustments just took too long to adjust. And that's why these teams are not in Super Regionals. It was came down to what offenses adjusted better. And again, Stanford probably did that better than anybody this weekend.
0: All right. Well, that is our Pac-12 flexing in the two spot. That's going to roll us into the number three spot where Holly Rose sits down with head coach Jessica Allister for Stanford and talks a little bit about that big victory at the Rhodes house. Well, joining us
6: now on seven innings podcast is Jessica Allister from Stanford. And it is so exciting because Stanford was this, this proud program at the women's college world series. And it's been a while and, and you were playing the last time that they were there at the world series. And now you have a chance in this super regional to get your team back there what has this journey been like for you to take over there and and have this opportunity? (laughs)
7: Um, It's surreal. It's uh, it's been, it's been amazing. And I think um, some of those emotions have set in a little bit. I wouldn't say um, I wouldn't say all of them have, I think right now, um, just really focused on trying to figure out, you know, how to, how to beat Oregon state. Um, So I've, you know, tried to stay away from thinking too much about, um, too much about kind of the big picture and stay really laser focused on, you know, the task in front of us, Um, but it's been a special season. And um, I just have a group of tremendous young women on the team and they are a joy to be around every day.
6: You you guys are hosting postseason softball for the first time since 2011. I mean, it's just crazy that it's been that long. Haven't had a super regional there since 2007, and I just want to ask you, how excited are your, are your kids? Like, what are, do they understand the importance of what they've been able to accomplish to bring postseason softball back to your campus? You know, I think they do. I think, um, you know,
7: Stanford is, you know, we're we're the best athletic department in the country, um, and that's awesome. It can also be a, a really humbling place. You know, you look to your left and look to your right, and there's national champions and Olympians walking everywhere, which you know, is inspiring and is why you're here. Um, but it also, it it can be a bit humbling at times. So I think, um, you know, they're just a group of women who bought into the idea that there's no reason that Stanford softball shouldn't be competing at the same level of all of our other sports. Um, and you know, they've dug in and worked hard and been tenacious and been gritty and been stubborn in their pursuit of trying to make that happen. So, um, for us to take this step and to win the regional and then through a twist of, um, you know, competition, get to host the super is, um, it's been awesome.
6: So I have 7,000 questions. I'm trying to narrow this down because I have so many questions. I don't get to talk to you that often, but the one thing I was intrigued by, so now you're hosting Oregon state and this is a team that beat you two out of three times this season. It's super surreal that you're in the supers and you're all so excited, but now it's like, oh, this is a team we know very well and they know us very well. Where do you start preparing for them and what has to be different than when you met them in the regular season?
7: But yeah, I think uh, we play a game that is different all the time. You know, I think that's the beauty of softball and baseball. And I think when you, you know, look across um, all the regionals and, you know, some of the upsets and just, you know, the different games and whatnot, you know, to win any game, you need a little bit of luck. Like you need the ball to bounce your way a little bit. You need the ball to find holes. You need, you know, to get a couple calls and whatnot on the strike zone. Like there's just, there's a lot of moving pieces there. So, you know, I think that's why major league baseball plays 162 games. Like there's some averages that have to happen. So, um, when we faced uh, Oregon state in um, Corvallis, I think, you know, all the pitchers were phenomenal. You know, I don't think either team offensively, um, you know, probably had their best weekend. And I think that that maybe looks a little bit different this time around. I know we're a completely different offensive team right now than we were at that point in time, um, which I am excited about. And I hope our team draws confidence from, Um, and I'm sure that they're a completely different team than they were when we faced them. So uh, that series was our opening PAC 12 weekend. Uh, feels like a hundred years ago and, um, you know, doesn't, doesn't feel like it has that much bearing on what we're about to do now.
6: Yeah, I was going to ask you because through, you know, I'm looking back at your results, the course of the Pac-12 season and you, you know, take two out of three from Arizona state and Pac-12 champs. You take two out of three from UCLA and some of the top teams you, you win against, but it seems like this team is getting better lately. Um, what's better right now about your team? Yeah. Well, I think, uh, you know, to talk
7: to the the first part of your um, question there, it's just our conference this year was just awesome. And it was awesome because, uh, you know, I, I told our team before we even started, like all teams are the same, <laughs> you know, when you go into any weekend, it doesn't matter who you're playing or who's playing who, like there's a good chance that anybody can win and nobody knows what's going to happen. And um, there was, you know, this word gets thrown around too often, but there was more parody in our conference this year than at any point when I've played or coached in this conference. And I've been in this conference for a really long time in different capacities. Um, But I think some of the teams that felt a little bit untouchable in the past um, didn't feel untouchable. And some of the teams that had struggled a little bit in the recent past were much, much, much improved. And we just, I think we were all the same. Um, You know, we all have our different strengths and weaknesses, but on any given day, anybody could show up. So I think I think that was awesome and it made for a really exciting season. Um, And I think it also allowed us to like, improve throughout the season but that's also sometimes hard. Um so knowing that literally every time you show up you might win you might lose, you know that's it sounds simple but it's actually you know pretty mentally taxing. Um so I think we just persevered through it and I think we're just playing, you know, we're getting hot at the right time. You know, we had a good offensive weekend down in Tucson which I think helped a lot. Um uh, feel good about the way we swung the bats uh, out in Tuscaloosa and we just have some um, really good Hitters who had rough starts to the season. Uh, but that's just the way our sport goes. You know, you're not machines, you're humans. So progress isn't linear. <laughs> like it, there's going to be ups and downs. Um, but I think we have some people feeling as confident as they have. Um, so I think, you know, offensively, we're doing a good job. You know, we've had steady pitching, great pitching um, all year, and our defense has been phenomenal. So those two pieces have kind of been the
6: backbone of our program, and our offense is um, starting to find its groove. So that's where I wanted to get, because you're talking about the ups and downs of your offense. But I think the consistency piece has been Vauder. She has been so consistent for you in a lot of ways. I'm intrigued by this story I read. I think it was from Softball America about her staying in a hotel for three months so she could come and do workouts during COVID and forest fires. Um, What have you seen from the resilience of this young lady of like, no, I'm going to take whatever extra step it takes to be great she is unlike any human I've ever
7: met before. And, um, she just, she's got a general love of like learning. She's really curious. She likes to meet different people from different places. She's just a wonderful, wonderful human. Um, so, and like is very, has this very calm demeanor, which is great. So she's a fiery competitor. And when you see her on the field, like she, you know, she is competitive. But at the same time, um, it's very much a process to her, and she doesn't get too consumed by the results, which I think serves her well and has just allowed her to continue to continue to improve um, every year that she's been here. And then on top of that, she just she's not scared of hard work. So you know, when we found out that Stanford wasn't going to have undergraduates on campus in the fall, um, well, she was like, "Well, coach, how can I find a way to get there so that I can throw bullpens with Coach Nyberg and work in the weight room and do all these things?" And to her. Um, things that might feel prohibitive are just, um, temporary setbacks that, you know, okay, well, let's pivot. And what's the next most important thing. Let's figure it out. She just has a really good approach, um, to softball and to life. And it's, um, it plays out in those situations that seem challenging. Um, and she finds a way.
6: we have seen some of the great pictures around the country struggle this year. And I just have this theory. I'm trying to figure out why I know bats are better. I know equipment's better. I know hitting and and all of the scouting technology that we have, I know it's making it more challenging for pitchers, but I have this theory that it's really hard for all of us in society to maintain focus right now. You know, social media and the way we move through life quickly and information quickly, I think it's challenging our focus. And pitching takes ultimate focus to hit those precise spots. Um, She seems like a really focused kid. How, How can we buy some of that? Like, I need more of that. Well, one on everything you said,
7: yes, 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 and yes. Um, (laughs) But I I think it also goes back to, we get so um, wrapped up in saying like, this is who you were one time. So this is who you are going to be all the time. And that's just not the sport we play. And I think people get like put into boxes and then like there's pressures that come along with that. And that's hard, you know? So I think um, that's a piece of it. And then it's just AV. She really has a chance. I mean, she just really has the ability to stay focused. Um, and not even I focused present presence, a better word. Like she's enjoying every moment she's in. So no matter what room she's in at that moment, like that's where she is. And she's loving everything about it. And then when she leaves that room, she's going to forget about that room and she's going to move on to the next one. She's going to love everything about it. Um, she just really has a very, um, just light outlook on life. And I think that probably allows her to stay focused, stay present, um, and just compete in the moment.
6: That's beautiful. Okay. Give me three quick things. What will it take to beat Oregon state this weekend in advance to the world series?
7: Oh man. Uh, Well, one, we need to keep our strengths, our strengths. So obviously um, you know, pitching and defense, if we can take care of those two things um, I like where we're at, you know, offensively we need to continue um, to get timely hits. I think we've done a good job of finding our way on base and just putting consistent pressure on the defense and then getting timely hits. Like we're not built to hit, you know, 80 home runs. That's not the team we are. Um, but we got great speed. We've got great contact hitters up and down the lineup. Um, so we just need to continue to put consistent pressure on their pitchers, um, and come up with some timely hits. And then, uh, we just gotta be tough, not perfect. And we talk about that a lot. Um, you know, I think it's, it's easy to, to dwell on the things that don't go right. Um, and we strive to take care of the next most important thing. So if we can be tough, not perfect, um, we're going to have a chance. And then the last one. And so I'm going to give you four, sorry, I'm cheating. It's okay. No, it's <laughs> And it's something we started talking about a lot as a team recently, but I think it's, um, I think it's helped us is we got to catch ourselves being good. And that kind of stems from a book that I read. There's a book, it's catch them being good. And it's like a coaching book. And I read it a long time ago and we were kind of in a little bit of a rut earlier this season. And I just realized that we got a lot of players operating in this space where if they did something well, instead of feeling good about themselves, the reaction was, well, finally. And if they did something poorly, you know, they just beat themselves up. So even in the moments where they were successful, they were managing to tear themselves down, (laughs) Um, which is just a, it's a really hard space to exist in. Um, So I think we're, you know, we've been talking a lot about making sure you can try to see yourself how all your teammates see you um, and try to catch yourself being good. So that sticks with being tough, not perfect, um, but just existing in that free mindset and
6: um, enjoying the competition. Oh my gosh, I love it! I feel like I just got a psychology lesson because I do that so badly. I'm always like, instead of thinking about, "Hey, you did 15 things today, and you were all over the country, and you nailed this, this, and this," I just worry about what I didn't do right. And so I like that. I feel like you gave me a good. It is a trap. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Well, thank you. I just wish you all the best. Have a blast hosting Super Regionals on the Stanford campus for the first time since 2007, and. Um, It's just a great story. Jessica Alistair comes back home where she was in the World Series as a starting catcher. And uh, I think you were an All-American too. Am I right about that? I was All-American catcher. And now you have a chance to lead your team back there. It's a Cinderella story. And I can't wait to see how this, uh, this chapter ends. Awesome. Thanks for your time, Holly. Really appreciate it. Thank you so much. We'll be back after this seven innings podcast continues in a moment.
0: All right. Well, Holly, thank you for your time with Coach Alistair, excited to see how that supers pans out, especially with uh, Stanford hosting at home. That's going to roll us down into the four spot with some SEC concerns. An interesting weekend, Missouri, Alabama, Tennessee, all upset at home. LSU swept at their regional. Um, A lot of stuff going on. Uh, Kayla, what were your takeaways on the SEC? We always think of this as such a powerful conference. They're going to do so well. They're going to punch a lot of tickets to the Women's College World Series. That obviously wasn't the case when we had a a group of teams that couldn't even get out of regionals.
3: Yeah, it's been really interesting to watch the SEC all year long. And, you know, we constantly talk about, you know, the grind of the SEC. We hear from all of these coaches. It's like playing a regional or super regional every single weekend. And, you know, you wonder how good is the SEC or how even is the SEC? And I think what we found out this year was, The SEC was very evenly matched. I think all of the teams were kind of packed in together in the middle. And um, one team stood out as the most consistent, the most solid week in and week out, and that's Arkansas. And they obviously looked the best during regionals and that's why they're cruising on to supers and they're going to be able to host and meanwhile all of the other teams in the SEC Tennessee Alabama they just had their up and downs all season long so they never found consistency they ended up you know trending down trending up it was a little bit of a roller coaster for those teams and those programs and um, I think you know Pitching was obviously down in the SEC this season. I don't think we saw the consistent pitching that we usually see the depth. And I think that's a a big reason why that a lot of these SEC teams that didn't make it out didn't score runs. I mean, for Mizzou to not score a run against Arizona, I think that that says something about probably the quality of pitching that they faced all season long. So again, um, consistent teams. Ended up doing really well in the tournament. Arkansas was consistent. The rest of the SEC wasn't. And, you know, Maddie, I know you keep a really good eye on this all year. What did you think?
1: I think I'm a, I'm a really a firm believer that good pitching is going to beat good hitting. And I think when we think about the SEC, specifically this year, we think about the long ball. We think about the home runs. We think about the power hitters. And I think what we saw when we got into regionals last year was the – or last weekend, excuse me, was the fact that the pitching has been so inconsistent in the SEC that ultimately that inconsistent pitching was what hurt them. And I think when you even look at somebody like a Montana Fouts all year long, we're used to seeing her come out. And striking out 12, 15 batters, but they just were not able to get the offense going towards the end of the year. I really think for Alabama, it went all the way back to that Texas A&M series uh, where they ended up losing the series. It came down to not getting that consistent bat. And I think that when you look at the Pac-12, I think they have some of the best pitchers across the country. And I think in the ACC, we have the best pitchers across the country. But when you look at the SEC, it's a lot of teams that are really using an, an entire bullpen rather than relying on one or two aces in the circle. So I think that when it comes to a regional weekend, you need to have two pitchers that can really take you full seven innings. And dominant pitching, p- pitching that's going to limit an, an offense to four or five hits in a ball game. And I think that when you look at the SEC as a whole, there's just not as many of those dominant pitchers across the board. And so that's where the Pac-12 having to face pitchers like Devin Nets, Hannah Bowen, uh, Elena Vaughter, Megan Faramo, Gabby Plain all season long. I think that's where they had the advantage coming up against some of these SEC teams that maybe didn't have as strong of pitching top to bottom
4: it also comes down to injuries in the circle. That's a big part of it. You have to keep your pitchers healthy from the start all the way through the finish. Last year, Arkansas was susceptible to Arizona. Arizona was able to advance over them because they struggled with autumn storms, not staying healthy through super regionals. So that gave Arizona the advantage last year. This year, Ashley Rogers for Tennessee. Erin Edmondson, you've got to tip your cap to her. She filled so many innings for Tennessee and was so good this year as a transfer coming in, just was so good for Tennessee because they didn't know Ashley Rogers was going to be hurt for a majority of the season. So Ashley Rogers just could not get back to what we know Ashley Rogers could do. That was a difference for me in sec play for Tennessee. And then you also look at the injuries to Alabama. Kilfoyle has not thrown since April 23rd. That's a difference in the regional. So a landing foot injury to kill foil, a back and forearm and arm issues for um, Ashley Rogers. It's those injuries for me. Yes, you train hard, but we are relying on these pitchers to do so much. And we need to do a, jo- a better job as a softball community to get pitchers better rules. We're seeing illegal pitches because they're using so much legs. But we have to do a better job of not just giving the benefit to the hitter. We've got to start finding ways to help a pitching staff be more successful throughout the year so we're not seeing these kinds of injuries at the end of a season
3: think something else really quick to mention Jenny on the injuries from a pitcher. I know from an offensive perspective, when your ACE or your ACEs aren't healthy or aren't able to go, that has a really profound impact on your offense. And Alabama is a perfect example of this Montana. Yes, she's Montana, but she works because she's got Lexi Kilfoyle to help offset what she's good at. And so Lexi Kilfoyle gets hurt right around that Texas A&M series. And that's when the offense took like a total downturn, like, They averaged two runs a game after Texas A&M. I mean, that's so tough for a team that was like really rolling offensively. Your second pitcher gets hurt. It changes the dynamic. It changes your mentality as a hitting, as an offense. And so all of a sudden you just struggle. And so pitching has a huge impact on the offense as well.
2: Wait, I know we're trying to move on, but are we going to really get through the SEC and not talk about Florida at all? Like we have to mention them on this podcast, just a little love, right? Because what Tim Walton does for his teams in the postseason, he gets them to play at a different level.
1: Maddie, take it away. I just had to bump in right there. Yeah, I think all year long, we've been waiting for their offense to explode. And they finally did this past weekend, 35 hits Florida was able to put up in their regional, which is something that they have not been able to do all year long. And to your point, Jen, I was listening to an interview with Coach Walton earlier this week, and he really pointed to three different things that really sparked their team being able to turn it around. One. They don't have to worry about class anymore because finals are over. And we all know what that feeling was like when you just got to focus on playing softball. Two, getting Hannah Adams back in the lineup. She is a leader for them defensively, offensively, you name it. She is their go-to person out on the field. And the third thing that that really stuck out to me when you look back at their LSU series, Cheyenne Lindsay struck out four times before coming up again with the game on the line, and she hit the game-winning home run, and he said that was the moment that it really turned it around for the team to go, hey, you can fail first at bat, second at bat, third at bat. It does not matter. Put it behind you because you're going to come up when the team needs you the most, and he said that was the moment that their offense really had a turning point. So for them to be able to put up as many hits as they did this past weekend, I think was huge for them moving into a Super Regional against a Virginia Tech team that has fantastic pitching uh, between Keely Rochard and Emma Lemley.
0: Awesome. All right. So I know there's a lot of concerns about the SEC, but um, we've still got some teams that have punched their ticket to Super Regionals. We'll be discussing that here in a bit. But Amanda, we're going to throw to you first. You've got Oklahoma State Clemson this weekend. What are you looking forward to?
5: Well, I'm still trying to find a good restaurant in Stillwater. I don't know if it exists there, Michelle. So if you can give me some suggestions, that would be great. Um,
0: uh, Eskimo Joe's, Eskimo Joe's, it's got, you know, cheese fries. Sorry. That's it. That's as good as it gets.
5: (laughs) I'll just go there every meal and eat cheese fries. It sounds really healthy. Um, and then work out for like three hours after it. But, um, yeah, I'm excited to see Oklahoma state Clemson, um, Evenly matched teams, I think. I think Clemson is coming on strong at the end of the year, and Oklahoma State is coming on stronger at the end of the year, still rebounding from the, the injury of Miranda Ellis. You know, they lost, what, five in a row at the end of the season after her injury. And then now they've been on a bit of a win streak. So I think that Oklahoma State is figuring it out without having her in the circle and her being able to have a different role in the team as just a hitter. And also the way that Morgan Day has stepped up for that team is really something special. I mean, they had one of the best pitching staffs in the country with Ellish, Day, and Kelly Maxwell, of course. Um, And so more innings are are getting put on Day, and she's really risen to the challenge. So I love that pitching staff. I think that Kelly Maxwell is one of the best pitchers in the country that doesn't get talked about as much as some others. And then for Clemson, I mean, a third-year program that made it to Super Regionals will be playing their first Super Regional against a team that has so much history. And Michelle, you know that. So much history in college softball. So I love the comparison of the history between both teams and for Clemson we know Valerie Cagle but Millie Thompson for them another left-handed pitcher and I know you love that too Michelle but another left-handed pitcher who was throwing awesome she has a nasty change up is throwing with a lot of confidence and presence like I love her in the circle um, another player to watch in the Super Regional is Mackenzie Clark the center fielder for Clemson she is one of the best athletes in the country the way that she plays defense she covers so much ground AJ Andrews inspired her she wanted to play defense just like her and she also swings it super well too she steps up in the big game we saw her hit multiple home runs against Florida State so I think she'll be a key player and I think that this is going to be a pretty evenly matched super and I like I just can't wait to get there and start on Thursday
0: yeah I'm looking forward to seeing um that obviously as well be be keeping one eye on that and one eye on my game um <laughs> as most alumni will do um let's go ahead and uh Shoot over to some of these other uh, sides of the bracket. How Jenny Dalton-Hill, what are you looking most forward to in your Oklahoma-UCF matchup?
4: Well, you've got the seasoned veteran of Oklahoma, who we know is the David of the Goliath matchup. And Jocelyn Allo, the player of the year finalist, hitting 500 on the season, 27 home runs. We know she's the home run queen, but this team is hitting 133 home runs. And their team ERA... At 0.81, they're going to have to rely, though, on Hope Troutwine and Nicole May, though, knowing that Jordy Ball still struggling with that injury. So another pitcher struggling with injury at the end of the season. Um, But this Oklahoma team has 14 Women's College World Series appearances, five national championships. They've been a national seed for 14 straight years, no hiccups. So you match that with UCF. And all I can think of is new kids on the block. And then I start going down the rabbit hole of all the songs that New Kids on the Block sings that actually match up well with this because, you know, you got the right stuff and hanging tough and all the thing. Anyway, so my playlist actually went backwards. But when it comes down to this matchup, UCF set out this season to be a host for regionals. They knew that they were going to need to do something different with their scheduling to be able to not go to Florida State and not go to Florida for regionals. So Coach Cindy Ball um, came out and said, said Coach Cindy Ball Malone came out and said, I'm going to schedule really hard. And we saw them go into the St. Pete Elite Clearwater Invitational. I said it wrong, but you know what I mean? Went into that, it's way too long of a name, but went into that tournament and did not lose. They came away with some of the best wins of their season and set the tone early. The combination of Gianna Mancha and Camel Woodall, that right there is difficult. Both of those two, Gianna Mancha with a 1.62 ERA and Camel Woodall with a 1.88 ERA are a little bit high when you know you're going into a team, into a environment where the ball's going to fly. You have to try to keep the ball in the ballpark But the thing that surprised me when I dug into these numbers is the team batting averages for both of these teams are equal. UCF is hitting 300 and Oklahoma is hitting 309. The difference between the two is the home run. Oklahoma hitting 133. UCF has, you know, a third of those at 41. So the difference is the home run, but Oklahoma had eight long balls in regionals. I'm expecting to see more of those home runs as they play at home, but UCF has put together a resume this season where they believe, and I'm pretty sure that they're going to walk in there with their heads high, knowing that they do have a really tough opponent, but coach Cindy Baumalone has prepared them to be able to walk in there and give a really good fight to Oklahoma.
0: Yeah, I think everyone's looking forward to that, uh, to see how UCF matches up with Oklahoma, how the ball flies out of the yard. I was actually impressed with UCF's crowd. I mean, that was a pretty big environment, and hopefully they're going to be able to to go into uh, Norman and, um, and uh, thrive in that environment as well. All right, let's go ahead and uh, move down on the bracket to Northwestern, going to uh, Tempe, to ASU. Kayla, you're covering that. Wow. I was just there. First off, it was warm. Secondly, it was warm. Uh, Thirdly, it was really warm uh, and the ball really flies in Tempe. What what are you looking forward to?
3: Okay, well, I'm glad you mentioned that, Michelle, because I looked at, you know, the temperatures and to put it in perspective for everybody out there listening. It was like 59 is the high in Illinois today in Evanston, Illinois, and it's 100 plus every single day in Tempe. So Northwestern, get hydrated because it's going to be a different type of atmosphere this weekend. Um, I'm really looking forward to this one. I think, you know, since the St. Pete Clearwater Elite Invitational earlier this year, uh, Northwestern has just solidified themselves as one of the best teams in the country. And I think they have the experience and those upperclassmen that have really paved the way for them. And they've made a big splash winning the Big Ten this year. Um, They rely on Daniel Williams in the circle, who's a crafty lefty that, again, has Been, you know, in these situations, I remember I called her super regional in Norman. They went to Oklahoma when she was a freshman and she went toe to toe with the Sooners at that point in her career. So, you know, you just think about all of those moments and she's really built for this one right here to go into Tempe to play against a really, really tough Arizona State offense and prove why this team full of seniors deserves to go to the Women's College World Series. So I, I'm really looking forward to that. And then on the other side of things, you got the Pac-12 champs, Arizona State. I think they're a team that has so many talented hitters, but I really like the youth on their team. And two players stick out to me, and that's going to be um, obviously Sydney Sanders, one of the best freshmen in the country. She's hitting well above 400, 2, or 21 home runs on the year. She can Freaking smash. And then Mac Morgan in the circle, also a freshman, has been uh, a leader for them. She's led Arizona State in innings. She had a complete game victory this weekend in their regional. And I just think they're going to be on a roll and ready to go. And, you know, the one thing I like about Arizona State is I think they take things personally and LSU kind of came in. They thought they were going to, you know, come in and play Arizona State tough. Well, she didn't even get there, and Arizona came ready to play. They beat San Diego State twice, so I think it's going to be a fantastic weekend, a lot of good softball, a lot of things to look forward to on this one, and you're right, Michelle, the ball leaves the park in Tempe, and uh, fun fact, Northwestern hit seven home runs in their regional, so they're going to be ready to go.
0: Awesome. Yeah. Looking forward to it. That is definitely uh, one of the home run supers to keep your eye on. So that's going to roll us down to UCLA and Duke and Jen Schroeder. We'll let you uh, go ahead and jump in on um, your thoughts on this super regional.
2: Yeah, really quick. One little interesting stat about Tempe Kayla that stuck out to me is Arizona has Arizona state has hit 98 home runs. So right about a hundred. Danielle Williams has only given up 14 home runs in over 200 innings of work. So that matchup, I'm going to have my eye on you. Let me, all, let me write that down. I'm going to yeah, write that all down. all weekend long, because I'm like, this is an interesting matchup. Uh, moving to LA, uh, everyone's big on the pack right now, and you really think, all right, UCLA, the highest seed in the conference, they're probably going to move on. But the thing about Duke is they don't care what your jersey says. They are not afraid of anybody, and that's a really scary place to be if you're UCLA, especially if you think that you're going to walk away, you know, walk yourself into the World Series really easily. Duke is coached by Marissa Young, who is from Southern California. She has roots here. She competed against UCLA back in her Michigan days. She's got a little extra animosity about the Bruins, you walk into L.A., If you guys have all been to Easton Stadium. They've got the Hall of Champions. You look at the banners. You see 12 national championship banners across the outfield. There is a sense of awe. Oh, you know, this is softball history. If you're Duke, you do not care. None of those kids are from California. They didn't grow up watching the Pac-12. They grew up, they grew up in the Midwest on the East Coast. And they don't care that you're UCLA. They are led by Peyton St. George, who is an absolute competitor. But the name and person I want you all to pay attention to is Christina Foreman, because what she is doing at the plate right now is incredible. They call it Tina time. And I feel like I'm going to say that in studio like 10 times this weekend because I think it has such a nice ring to it. Tina time. Uh, UCLA struggled with the bats in the past. They have been silenced. They have Truly, we're not getting it done until regionals. And so the matchup of their offense versus Peyton St. George is something that I think the country assumes UCLA is walking out of this. I think it's going to take three games if the Bruins want to go to the World Series.
0: Wow, I like it. All right. Good stuff. Good stuff. I, I always love the um, the if necessary game and the supers because it is you can just feel the tension and um just the way that all rolls out every year is always amazing I'll be calling the Arkansas Texas series I'm really looking forward to that one um you know Texas coming off of that big victory at Washington this is a team that really struggled early 0 and 5 in Clearwater to start the season everyone was like what's going on they're imploding um midway through the season they they kind of they kicked it up they had a a game they talked about that really was a turning point. Um, and it, it was a matchup with Minnesota. They were losing by five runs. They ended up coming back in that game to tie the the score. Ironically, the game never ended because of, of because of a time commitment to, to make a flight, they ended the game as a tie, but they said being able to come back uh, in that game against Minnesota and tie that game up what really was a, was a big turning point in their season for them. Obviously then the, uh, the victory, um, Uh, over Oklahoma was another springboard uh, that they used to help propel them that but they're playing some really good softball not like Amanda mentioned earlier uh, they only had one error in the regional and I think that if they play a tight defense that's going to be really one of the keys Arkansas we know they hit the ball they pitch the ball very well the key matchup I'm really looking forward to to seeing is Haley Dulcini against Lenny Malkin so Lenny one of the 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 home run hitters that is just you know will always be um, a legend at Arkansas because she is the home run leader there, a career home run leader there, going up against Dalsini. Dalsini's given up 23 home runs on the year. The majority of them are center left field. Um, Lenny is more of a pull hitter. Most of her home runs and her power are to center left. So I'm really interested to see how that plays off the adjustments that those big, powerful right-handed hitters for Arkansas make on that screwball, that Dalsini likes to try to get underneath the hands of those power hitters. I did think it was interesting, the super pitch uh, or the secret weapon (laughs) that Dalsini pulled out in Supers. Uh, excuse me, in regionals was her changeup that she basically figured out in the bullpen last week. It's pretty impressive that you can just pull a new pitch out of your back pocket um, a week before regionals, but that was a very effective pitch. It helped her out a lot against Washington. I know she'll be throwing that a lot against Arkansas. So really looking forward to uh, to that Fayetteville, super regional. Um, and Maddie, I know you talked a little bit about Virginia Tech, Florida, maybe give us a little bit more insight on what you're looking for on this regional, excuse, excuse me, this super regional.
1: Yeah, I I think all of us, the first thing that we're all going to think of is, is the illegal pitch going to be called or not when it comes to Emma Lemley and Keely Rochard in the circle? I think that's going to be the biggest question. I know we all have our opinions on it. I think we're all kind of on the same page. If it hasn't been called all season, then why wait to the postseason for it to be called? And, Jenny, I know you were on that call this past weekend. Um, but at the end of the day, I, I think for the pitching staff for Virginia Tech, they've got to do whatever they can to try to stay legal um, and then just go with it. If it ends up being called, you roll with it. If not, then you just keep on doing what you're doing. Um, and I know we talk a lot with Virginia Tech about their pitching staff, but they're hit, they've are they got six batters that are batting over 300. And I think that that's really been a key for them is they're not a team that's going to blast the ball out of the park. Park all over the place. Although Meredith Slaw had a really nice grand slam this past weekend, Um, but what they do is they really just blast singles, doubles, like they're trying to hit the ball into the grass, into the gaps, get on base, put the pressure on the defense. Um, So I think that's going to be kind of their game plan going into this super regional. On the flip side, Florida is historically known for having solid defense, and they're the team that is just not going to beat themselves, especially when they have Hannah Adams back at second base. I swear she is all over the field. I mean, you hit they. They work the shifts so well that the ball almost looks like it's being fed straight into Hannah Adam, Adams' hands. So I think it's going to be a good battle between two teams that aren't really going to hurt themselves, um, that have a solid pitching in the circle, and then whose bats are going to show up. Is it going to be the bats that we've seen from Florida this past weekend, or are they going to have a, a little bit of a tougher time going up against Keely Rochard and Emma Lemley? So to me, though, the biggest thing that stands out are those illegal pitches. Are we going to see those being called, or are we not?
0: Yeah, absolutely. That'll uh, definitely be interesting to, to, to keep an eye on. Uh, I'm, I'm curious to see uh, how many stolen bases Florida potentially has in that super regional with all that speed they have uh, at the top of the lineup. Um, all right, let's go ahead and um, roll on down to uh, Oregon state and Stanford. Um, that is going to be an interesting, we know at least a, obviously a PAC 12 team is punching their ticket to uh to Oklahoma city. Um, Jen Schroeder, what are you looking forward to when it comes to um, Stanford hosting a super regional that, that they haven't hosted in a long, I don't know if they ever have even. So they have. We,
2: Jess Mendoza remind know. me that they have, uh, because I assume they hadn't. And she said, "Uh, uh-uh, no, we have. I'm like, Oh, okay, Jess. Uh, I think that one thing that's really cool about the PAC 12 is every coach is a female and there are multiple coaches who are coaching their alma mater. And Jessica Allister is one of them. She's going up against the only four-time Olympian that this sport has in Laura Berg. So it's just really cool, historic matchup. But Maddie mentioned something about Stanford's preparation against Alabama. I think Jessica Allister prepares her teams in a way that other coaches don't her coaching mind is, is brilliant. I'm, so excited for the Elena Vaughter versus Mariah Maison matchup. I think it's going to be extraordinary, but I really think Stanford comes out of this and I think they're going to be at the World Series.
0: All right. I'm excited for that one too. Laura Berg, an amazing coach. I like what she's done uh, with with Oregon State. She's done a lot of of great work there. Um, All right, let's go ahead and roll down to our final super regional to chat about. It's going to be Arizona at Mississippi State and I'm pretty sure this is their first time ever hosting a super regional uh, so who wants to jump in first on that one uh,
3: yeah just like we all predicted at the beginning of the year right Mississippi State versus Arizona in this super um, yes it is the first time ever that Mississippi State is hosting so Stark Vegas get ready I'm pretty sure they've already sold out their stadium so kudos to that fan base um, for showing out for their team on their first trip uh, you know we I mentioned this a little bit earlier and I think you know, when we were talking about the struggles of the SEC and making sure that you have two pitchers that you can really rely on for complete games. I think Annie Willis and Aspen Wesley showed that they could go throw those complete games. And I thought they did a beautiful job mixing different pitches against Florida State, really sprinkling in the off speed. And that's going to be the key to success when they're going to go up against an Arizona team that can hit the ball out of the park. So I think it starts in the circle for them. And then you can't not talk about Mia Davidson. Uh, she's the sec home run queen. She had a huge home run against Florida state in their first game on Sunday. And, you know, Mia Davidson, obviously known for the home run ball, but man, when she hit that thing, it it felt like the momentum just turned all to Mississippi state. When she gets a hit, it gives their team a confidence. And all of a sudden, like they got energy. They felt like, oh man, we can hang with the Seminoles. And then all of a sudden you give that team more hope and they start getting better and better. And then they end up with two wins. Um, a couple other players that I look forward to seeing um, in that for Mississippi State is Briley St. Clair in leadoff spot. I think she's a really good center fielder. She also made a huge impact um, in their elimination games, getting on base and making things happen with the stolen bases. And then Koli Malauulu um, who plays, in the outfield as well, she hits behind Mia Davidson or a couple of batters behind Mia Davidson, but she's somebody that needs to step up and did big time in the in the regional and a huge reason why they're going to be playing in a super for the first time ever. And um, I think they've got a tough challenge because Arizona has been there, done that before. Uh, and Jen, I think Jenny, you know something about that.
4: Yeah, they may have been there before, but. Arizona hit a point in their season that I don't know that they have ever been in in the history of Arizona softball. They hit a point where they were last in the standings in Pac-12 play. I can't remember the last time. And remember when you think about it, there's they finished the year second to last. So this is a team that I think got in by the skin of their teeth and maybe by some team laurels that were before them. Because honestly, I don't know that Arizona – earned their way into this postseason with the kind of year they put together. Um, They don't have any hitters hitting over 400. They have four hitters hitting over 350 with Jasmine Perez Chica, Ali Skaggs, Izzy Paco, and Carly Scoopin. Other than that, everybody else below 350. And the thing that maybe catches my eye is they don't have a ton of stolen bases this year. So Mia Davidson is going to be able to control the run game. So they're not going to be able to steal a lot of bases. Are they going to be able to hit it out of the park? Yeah, they have 92 home runs as a team. But remember, they're playing in Mississippi, not in Tucson. And so very humid. And the ball doesn't fly as well when it's hot and humid. Um, When it comes to their pitching staff, I think that's the ticket for them. For them to be able to figure it out last weekend at regionals to have a changeup that's working against a hot hitting Mississippi state team. Those changeup pitches are difference makers. And if Hannah Bowen and Devin Nets are going to be able to combine and be successful against Mississippi state, I think they can out hit Mississippi state. However, it's going to come down to the circle for me with Arizona. If they lose that momentum that they gained in regionals, Mississippi State will be able to find themselves at the Women's College World Series.
2: So Jenny, did I hear this right? You're, you're predicting the, bull, the Bulldogs to OKC over your Wildcats?
4: It, I think it all comes down to the circle, which it has all year long for the cats. But yeah, I'm predicting some dogs might chase some cats if they can't get
0: it done in the circle. That was hard to say. Thanks, Jen. I love the way. Challenged. Challenged. Uh, and I happen to agree. I do think it all comes down to the circle. Um, <laughs> all right. Um, that rounds up our uh, our super regional, our eight of them. Excited to see who uh, who punches their ticket to Oklahoma City. It's always an interesting time of the year. Um, surprises. We had a lot of those in regionals. We'll see if we have them here in the supers as well. And now heading into the number six spot, we're going to talk about legendary coach Joe Evans from Texas A&M. We have Tori Vidal is with us and, of course, Amanda Scarborough. Um, Amanda, why don't you go ahead and uh, give us your takeaways about your time at Texas A&M and uh, training under coach Joe Evans?
5: Yeah, so after 26 years, A&M decided that they weren't going to renew Coach Evans's contract at Texas A&M. And it was a pretty emotional day, I think yesterday. Just um, hearing the news and getting word of it, I think reading her quote about how A&M has impacted her life. I didn't I don't know why I just didn't expect to to read such a impactful quote that on the day that they announced that from her. And that's really kind of what got me the most emotional yesterday is just reading that, that she's been there for 26 years and her experience there and being the leader of the program and um, how, how it, like her time there has just impacted her personally. Like I just, as her player, I just didn't, I don't think of it that way as much as I think about how much she has impacted us. So that's why I think it made me pretty emotional about it because her time at a and So it seems has impacted her as much as it has impacted us in the way that she coached us. So playing for her, she is literally the best coach I have ever played for the things that she has taught me how to compete, how to believe in myself, how to feel like anything that I put my mind to, I can achieve, even if it's really hard and it doesn't seem like you can do it, you can fight through adversity and get through anything. I mean, I can't, enough about the profound impact that she made on my life. And I know so many of my teammates life and um, just made it the best four years of, of my life getting to play for her and so she's been there for so long I feel like she's a staple. Um, at a not just the AM softball program a staple at the university and has impacted so many people's lives like not just the softball program but AM as a university softball coaches in total all over the country um, so it was it was just such a a, a a sad day but also like seeing the impact that she's made on so many people was a, a little bit bittersweet at least for me Tori um, how was yesterday for you and what are your thoughts on coach?
8: Uh, Yeah, it was a little bit emotional, actually a lot of it emotional. I was like, I reached out to her and as I was typing the message, I was, you know, trying to hold back tears thinking about everything that she's done for me. And like you mentioned the university, I I remember having a conversation with her. I think we were at maybe practice or an away trip, but I said, coach, have you ever thought about getting your Aggie ring? And she said, you know what, I actually have thought about it. I wonder if they would let me go back to school and get one. I said, coach, you should be an honorary, like Aggie ring holder, just because of how long you've been here and what you've brought to the program and the university. And she was like, yeah, you know, I need to check in on that. So if there was one thing I could do, it would be to be able to give her an Aggie ring to truly solidify the maroon and white that runs through her blood. But yeah, for me, I totally agree with everything you said. She's given so much to the program and really taught me more about life than softball. And there's so many moments that I look back and things that I implement into my life now that I didn't realize that I learned from her indirectly, just watching how she led the program and watching how she communicated with not only us, but also her coworkers and people around her so it's just been really special. I feel really honored to have the opportunity to have played for her and to really continue a relationship outside of the game with her. She, I know that I can always call her, text her if I need anything, any type of advice, or really just to hang out, just to talk, to check in.
5: Well, I wanted to add one more thing is that I I feel like Tori, and I don't know if you feel this way, but like calling games, I feel like she comes out in me. Like when the way that I see the game, the way that I view the game, think about it, feel about it. Like she comes out in me. And so it's almost like not in cut. It's like, that's what makes me emotional because she's still present. But the impact that she made on my life, like I'm tearing up right now because I feel like she's always with me and like always will be. So kind of a cool thing. Like, to think about of like just teaching me the game and how to how to view it, respect your opponent, feel like you can beat anybody. Like that's why I love calling games because she taught me so much more about the game.
8: Yeah, and I think not only that, but for me, she was a big part of me even getting into the broadcasting. My junior year, when I was working at Twelfth Man Productions, um, I asked her. I said, you know, I have this opportunity to be on the football crew, which would be every Saturday, and I would have to miss you know, unofficial visits, official visits, which are really important to our program and showing them what all, what Aggieland is all about. But she said, Tori, I like, I'm surprised that you're even asking, because I know that this is what you want to do. And I know that you're so passionate about this. And she said, I, of course, 100% want to let you do that. And so here we are a couple years later and, you know, I'm working for SEC network. I'm calling games. So I feel like she's been such a, a special part, not only in teaching you how to respect the game, but also setting you up for an incredible future.
0: Well, I love the perspective that you both give um, having played for Joe Evans. I think that um, we all have coaches that we just fall in love with because they make an impact on our life. And um, the one thing that sticks out to me when I heard the news is that I feel like some of our institutions need to step up. Why is it at times when male coaches will retire, decide they don't want to go on, they become advisors or they get another position with the university. She's given 26 years of her life to Texas A&M. I would hope at some point, I don't know all the details, but I would hope at some point, maybe they, they step up and ask her to be, you know, help and stay involved with fundraising or an advisor to the softball team, just something, something to say, Hey, it's been 26 years that you've dedicated your life to us and and we still want you to be a part of this institution, even if it's not as a head coach on the field. So I'm just throwing my two cents out there because I think it is important. We do that for male coaches all the time. I think it's important to do that uh, for female coaches as well. um, If both parties can come to those agreements. Um, So from the player's perspective, I love um, that you guys are are able to add, we had Jen Schroeder sit down with Amy Hogue to talk a little bit about how uh, Coach Evans has not just impacted players within our game, but also other coaches within our game.
3: If I could be Joe Evans, I would. She always said, don't be me, try to be you. But she she did it the same way I would have wanted to do it. So thankfully it wasn't hard for me to just kind of copy her. She's a family person. She's someone that cares a lot about growing young, young women and winning games too, but it's kind of in that order. Um, she's super competitive like I am so when you get on the field there's no one else that wants to win more than the two of us hates losing both of us but the investment in the girls the investment in their growth and making them feel empowered to go on and do whatever they want is the number one goal and uh, winning takes a backseat to all of that for her and myself
2: One thing I want to add too, after talking to Amy and just, you know, obviously being around Amanda so much, Amanda got married this past January and coach Evans had camp. Their biggest camp of the year was that weekend. And I remember sitting, talking to her at Amanda's wedding and she was looking at all of Amanda and her bridesmaids. She had a ton of her entire class and the class above her, all of her roommates were in her wedding party and Coach Evans was looking at them with like such pride in her eyes. And she put her arm around me. Like I'm way up higher than her right up around me. It was like, I remember it being like kind of a little awkward. And She's like, Jen, just look at them. This, this is why I do this. And it like, it brought tears to my eyes when she said it, because it was so evident that she was going to be at Amanda's wedding, no matter what she had to miss, she was going to be there. She wouldn't miss it. And she was so proud of not what they did for the program, taking them to two world series when they played there, but who they are as people. And that it was evident that she will be a part of their lives forever.
5: Last very quick thing, Michelle, I just want to add, we don't know what the future is for coach Evans. So like, I don't want it to seem like we know that she's retiring or she announced that like, we don't know quite what is next for um, coach Evans. And I feel like when we talk about her, it does seem like, oh, she's retiring. And we don't know what's next, but the fact that she was there at, at 26 years at A&M, I mean, she's essentially, you know, feel like retirement feeling from A&M, but you know, we don't, we don't know what's next for her. So we'll see.
0: Awesome. I, I hope that's the case because she's deserving of it. She's uh, one of the most amazing people within our game and has dedicated so much of her life that I hope our, our game now takes care of her. I like she's taken care of our game. All right. And that's going to take us into the seventh spot, our player of the year pick. So, ladies, I figured what we could do is um, maybe we could just each. Uh, give our thoughts on who we would pick individually as a player of the year. Obviously, we know that the, the top three for USA softball player of the year um, are out there. Jocelyn Allo, um, Georgina Koric, and the third one from Washington is Ailey Klingler. Klingler. Yes, exactly. Um, So So I think that the way that you even just rolled
2: those out probably sums up what we feel uh, what's going to happen here with the player of the year award is uh, Georgina Cork what she's been able to do for South Florida and Bailey Klingler. I mean, just the fact alone that she was player of the year in the Pac-12 as the barely third best team in the conference says a lot about what they've been able to do. But personally, I feel like Jocelyn All is going to run away with this thing by a landslide. Maddie, I see a you nod in your head. So, what do you have to say about this?
1: Yeah, I completely agree. Uh, I think that my first vote goes to Jocelyn All, but I can't say enough good things about the the season that Bailey Klingler had, um, doing what she did for Washington in the Pac-12, and of course Georgina Corrick and her record number of uh, strikeouts or excuse me, shutouts, strikeouts, all of the above. Um, but can I hot take here? Can we finally do a Player of the Year and a Pitcher of the Year? I
0: feel like we need. Absolutely. two separate categories for those um i'm gonna interject real quick i was actually thinking we could each just pick our own player no matter uh it doesn't have to be one of the top three that are up for that so if you have someone else you randomly want to pull out there for whatever reason feel free to throw that but i agree with you madison i think that we should have a player of the year and a pitcher of the year so so go ahead
1: yeah, no, no, no. I, I, that was basically my thought. I, I think that Georgina Coric, and again, her stats stand for themselves. And um, but you know, when it comes to player of the year, I thought that people like, of course, Jocelyn. I thought uh, Bailey Klingler and somebody else. I wanted to go ahead and give some credit to uh, was Danielle Gibson for what she did for Arkansas this season. I think she had a phenomenal season. And I'll get off my soapbox now and pass it off to somebody else. But here's my vote for having a pitcher of the year and a player of the year.
4: Maddie, right? I mean, honestly. Every single year, I feel like there's a pitcher up and everybody just goes, yep, give it to her. And especially if they hit, right, then it's just a no brainer. They just hand it to them. I'm going to maybe have a different perspective on this one. Jocelyn Alou, I love her and I am so excited to see her in person this weekend for Supers. But I will say she's a DP this year. She's not playing defense, which I think is a little bit of a knock to her being able to go back to back with player of the year. I, I am not taking anything away from her. She is 100% amazing. And I cannot wait to watch her take the, take the batter's box. But I wish she had played the field this year to bolster those numbers defensively and give her another reason why we should make her player of the year. Because of that, I'm actually gonna, gonna, going to give my nod to Bailey Klingler. I love what she did in the Pac-12. And if you think about it, there's only been three times in the history of the Pac-12 that the Triple Crown has been won. I did it one year. Lauren, Megan, oh, help me out, Jen. Langenfels, Megan Langenfels won it one year. And now Bailey Klingler, the third person to ever have it done. And each time it's been done, that player gets the player of the year nod. So while they may have, she may have been on the third best team in the Pac-12, I think what we're seeing is the Pac-12 was pretty dominant this year, even though they beat each other up all season long. And what Bailey Klingler was able to put together as a whole, defensively, offensively, I think that gives her my nod to be able to have a chance to win the player of the year. Kayla?
3: Yeah, I think uh, this year it's going to go best player on the best team. That's obviously Olo, but um, somebody else on our team that I think you could have made an argument again for being player of the year was Grace Lyons, because not only did she put up a 415 batting average with 19 home runs, I think she's the best shortstop in the country. And to play that position and be better than everybody else in that position, I think says a lot about you and a reason that she should be up for player of the year, (laughs) in my opinion. What do you think, Jen?
2: Kayla, I could not agree more. She's impressed me so much. And Jenny, you make great points, but just to combat you a little bit, it's really unfortunate that Joss Mallow plays on such a good team because she wouldn't be playing defense if she was on a different team. And also the fact that Bailey Klingler was moved from shortstop to third base and hasn't really been a mainstay at one position, I think discredits your theory, because obviously you played second base every single game. Megan Langenfeld was on defense, whether it was pitching or first base every single game. So I think if Bailey Klingler played like Grace Lyons, did at shortstop, then she maybe wins. But I think because she didn't, that's what gives Jocelyn all well. Yeah. And I love
4: that point, Jen. You're exactly right. That's the little notch in the, in the cap that says maybe not. Right. But, and then if you look at, Gosh, there's probably five players on Oklahoma's team that deserve to have their name in the top three player of the year. Honestly, my favorite, Tiara Jennings. Granted, she's a second baseman, but I love that kid. I love watching her play defensive. She's been awesome. She's hitting 390, which you're like, oh, just 390. But she's <laughs> she's been so good. And home run wise, just a sophomore, she's actually the player that I love to watch and hitting 390 on Oklahoma's team is unfortunately low. How crazy is that?
0: Yeah, all good discussions. Um, it is interesting. I think Bailey Klingler, it, you know, if, if Washington makes it to the Women's College World Series, she probably has a better chance to, um, to be in that conversation with Jocelyn Alo. I feel that Alo with the home run record um, and the way she broke it probably stamps that, that ticket for her to be uh, player of the year. All right, ladies, that's going to move us into the eighth slot, and we all know what that is. It's time to shag some stats.
6: This week on Shagging Stats.
2: I'll kick us off. I want to give a little shout-out to Sid Sanders. It's a name that Kayla mentioned earlier. There had been a four-way tie for the single-season home run record at ASU. Up until this past weekend, Sid Sanders blasts her 21st, oh, And she's just a freshman. She might be one of the most complete hitters I've ever seen as a freshman. So my shagging stat goes to her home run record holder at ASU with 21, just a freshman, and she might not be done at 21. Kayla, what's your stat?
3: Uh, thank you. Again, Jen is just giving me all the good stuff to prep for for my games this coming weekend. So thanks for doing my research, Jen, for me. Um, I'm going to go back. Uh, I had Georgina Korick this weekend. And uh, Georgina Korick, 38s my shag and stat, she broke or tied 38 records for USF and the American Conference. So she's the American all-time leader in wins, ERA, strikeouts, complete games, shutouts, perfect games, no hitters. She had 1300 strikeouts to end her career so I just want to give the nod to Georgina Cork I'm so sad that she wasn't able to pitch in her final um, weekend of playing for the Bulls but a lot to look forward to in her future and she literally rewrote the record books
4: that's awesome Kayla and she has been so fun to watch it was a disappointment to not see her in that final game I'm going to go back to the home run queen and it's a different number for the home run queen that I don't know that anybody's brought up yet, but it's a record that stood for 26 years. So RBI, career RBI, the number is 328. The reason I know it it's because I hold it and Jocelyn Alo is sitting at 306 and I see them going all the way through the championship series and This is one that I did. I had looked at prior, but I went out to dinner with my husband last night. And he's like, are you nervous? I'm like, what about what? He's like, all those really close, Jenny. And I thought, you know what? Good for her. Now, at the same time, I'm sad, but I want to make sure she knows I will cheer it. I will applaud it. But 328 is the number that she's chasing.
1: 26 years, Jenny.
4: Yeah, I played when dinosaurs basically
6: walked the earth.
1: Uh, for my Shag and Stat, uh, I actually got to watch Wichita State this past weekend play in person, and I know we talk about their offensive numbers left and right. Uh, Sydney McKinney, their leadoff batter, ended up – batting 522 on the season uh, in their last game that they played she went four for four so I wanted to give a shout out to her for that incredible season and I can say without a doubt none of my stats ever come came close to batting 500 on the year let alone batting well over 500 um so to see her be able to do that throughout the season specifically in the regional she was so great to watch so much fun to watch up there at the plate so I wanted to make sure that we gave her a shout out on that 522 batting average yes I'm gonna say it again because it it's absolutely incredible.
0: Awesome. That's great stuff, Maddie. And uh, JDH, since you think that you played uh, when the dinosaurs were alive, that must make me like when the universe was uh, created maybe or something like that. (laughs) Hey, all good things started back then, Michelle. That's right. There you go at the beginning. Um, All right. My shagging stat is going to be Danielle Gibson, 20 home runs and a 445 batting average. So not only is she leading the uh, Razorbacks um, with the batting average, she's got 20, uh, home runs. And, uh, that's a team that can do it. They've got five hitters actually that have double digit home runs. So those are our shagging stats. That's going to roll us into a number nine, which is the mailbag. And, um, who's hosting the mailbag this week, Jen Schroeder, you got it. I pulled them up. So first question is from Mike For everybody,
2: what moments made you cry with happiness? What moments made you cry with sadness? Jenny, I see you nodding. Do you have a moment that maybe stands out to you?
4: Yeah, you said cry. So, right. That's obviously me because I do that all the time. But so tears of happy was actually the upsets that were sending the underdogs to the next round because so many times we cheered our favorite team and they just come up a day late or a dollar short, but there were so many upsets that I felt like there were teams that had found a way to believe in themselves when maybe the whole rest of the world was against them. And I loved seeing those moments of the underdog being successful, but I will say there were some tears. It was hard to watch some of those names that you re- you've, you've watched for so many years having to put their cleats on home plate. That was really hard this last weekend, you know, and maybe the one that got to me the most was, um, Kaylee Tao putting hers on home plate. That was difficult because I feel like she's been there for eight seasons, but then the other one that brought tears to my eyes was actually a tweet that I saw by Kim Wirt and Missouri, a Missouri softball player, because, She pointed out that there were so many negative comments made by the Twitterverse out there about their team, about their seniors, about their season. And we need to be better humans. We need to be better at supporting and taking care of our people and not cutting people down in moments that we have never walked in. So before you tweet, before you send that message, make sure you take a step back and realize what you're doing because- you are part of the problem. If you're thinking that a team doesn't care or a player didn't prepare hard enough, I will be the first person to tell you that nothing hurts worse than losing before getting to the Women's College World Series.
2: Yeah, such a good point. So we're going to go to positive Twitter right now and another mailbag question. Uh, Maddie, this one's for you. Who are the unsung players that could make a difference for their team on their hunt to the Women's College World Series?
1: Uh, There's a couple that come to mind, um, but when I think about the Arkansas Razorbacks team, I think they're one of the most complete teams in the nation right now. And the person that I go to is Hannah Gamble. And the success that she's had, the jump that she's had in her hitting numbers this year, I think because she's hit so well, pitchers are half-to-force to to everybody else in that lineup. You're half-to-force to to throw to a Danielle Gibson, to a Lenny Malkin. So, to me, I think she's the one person that I think really holds that entire lineup together. Uh, Somebody else, too, is Kiki Escobar in that leadoff position for Oregon State. Uh, When you look at the elimination day, she went four for seven against Tennessee. And that's like starting off the the game, setting the tone right from the beginning. And when you get to the postseason, you're not sure how your freshmen are going to respond. They've got five freshmen in that starting lineup for Oregon state. So I think for her to be able to set the tone right from the beginning is going to be huge for them moving forward.
4: I'm going to give you another name, Maddie, because you're going to that Virginia tech super regional and you need to watch out for Emma Ritter. She hits in the two spot behind Cameron Fagan. She leads the team in batting average. She robbed a home run in the regional final. She has the most stolen bases on the team. She's second, or she has the most doubles on the team, the most triples on the team and the fewest strikeouts just three strikeouts in 156 at bats. so she's one of those players that doesn't get a lot of attention but she is absolutely the heartbeat of that team in the two spot
1: I'm writing that down Jenny I've got to read
2: this isn't just a podcast for everybody else this is a prep session for all the analysts that are going to be covering Super Regional this weekend all right last question and Kayla and Michelle I'm going to kick this one to you and if anyone else wants to answer jump in but which one of the unseeded teams is going to find itself the closest to the women's college world series final. Kayla, what do you think?
3: Unseeded teams. I'm going to have to go with Stanford because I have, I think they have the pitching to get them there. I think that's one of the biggest keys is you have to have pitching. And I look at the other seeded teams and it's not that they don't, I just think that Stanford is the most solid. So um, again, out of the unseeded unseeded teams, that would be my vote. What do you think, Michelle?
0: I'm going to go with uh, Mississippi State and Mia Davidson. I just think that she um, might have a, a big supers, get herself to Oklahoma City. And, um, you know, if she can get some pitches to swing at, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw their, their name in there. I thought that they uh, they did a great job at the SEC tournament and have since uh, been on a roll. So I think that's a team that's playing with a lot of heart. They play for a lot of reasons. Um, you know, that's just a, a program that has a, a lot of soul. And um, I'm looking forward to see how they do. So that, that's my, that's my answer.
2: Another one that stands out to me as a potential, I'm not calling an upset here, but if Texas can find a way past Arkansas, because Arkansas has not gone to the World Series, right? This is like at a speed bump that they just can't get over, and Texas has that tradition, plus the story of Taylor Ellsworth having played at Texas, there's some drama, there's some emotion there. So if Texas can find its way past Arkansas, they're a team that could make some noise and sneak their way into a women's College World Series final, I think.
0: Awesome. Good stuff. Well, that is our seven innings podcast uh, for the week. I want to remind everybody that the Supers kick off this Thursday on ESPN2 at 7 p.m. Eastern. It will be Texas at Arkansas and then at 9.30 Eastern on ESPN2 as well. Clemson at Oklahoma State looking for a great round of games here in the Super Regional, see who's going to punch their ticket to the Women's College World Series. Again, this was Kayla Bro, Maddie Shipman, Jenny Dalton-Hill, Amanda Scarborough, Jen Schroeder, and Michelle Smith rounding out our seven innings podcast. Look for us all week as we head to the Women's College World Series right around the corner.